The sermon today is taken from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the, by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's been on your mind recently? What's been on your mind this past week? Some of the things that, been, that has been on my mind personally is the misery of daylight savings. I still haven't recovered from the change of daylight savings. The potential collapse of the banking system. I'm sure that's been on the mind of some of us here. It's been on my mind. These things have been on my mind, but what's been the most on my mind lately has been this potential merger between Trinity and First Pres. This process has been going on. We've been thinking about it, praying about it, pondering it, dreaming for over a year now. And we are planning on worshiping together three weeks from now. There's a lot of things coming together, but there's also a lot of details that need to be worked out. We'd like to have a new lake location. We need a new name. We need new leaders for this church. We need a lot of things. But the question that's been on my mind, what do we need the most? This is the question that's been on my mind the most, especially this week, especially as I've been reflecting on this passage. And we'll get back to that. But first, let's look at this passage and let's, let's work through this. There's, as, as I've been studying this passage through the, the past couple of weeks, first point I wanted to bring up is that we are members of the household of God. As Chris alluded to earlier, this household is something that we probably uh, need a little bit of a, to think through a little bit. It's a little bit different than what we think about. But this passage is, is about Jewish and Gentile believers coming together, being merged into one household. A household was a Roman term. It was more than just a family, but there were people who were connected together around what they called a pater familias the head of the household. Now this household contained not just the immediate family, but the clients, his servants, his slaves, and the freedmen under his care. And Paul is reminding us that we are a household and our potter familias is God. God is the head of this one household. And this is a revolutionary thing that Jesus reminds us and teaches us as well, as he, through the Gospels, is telling us to pray to the Father, referring to the Father as the Father, showing us that we are his children, that we are a part of this household, a household where the potter familias is God. God is the head of this household. And as a household, we are covered and protected by God. But we also have a responsibility to God and a responsibility to one another. 
Now, the second point that I want to bring up in this passage is that Christ is our cornerstone, and he is true. This week, I, uh, I'm a part of this uh, Redeemer City to City church planning incubator program. Started in the fall, we're about halfway through. And this week, I had the opportunity to invite a leader in the church. And so I had the pleasure of going with Joyce um, and Mana, my wife. And so we went for this, for this gathering. And my big takeaway this month, the big takeaway that I had, was that if we wait for certainty, then we'll wait too long. During the gathering where we were looking and thinking about what it means to be a successful church, the the presenter mentioned to us that life is about making decisions without knowing all the details. We do our due diligence, we plan, but there's a point where we need to make a decision. There's a point where we need to step out in faith and say, I've got enough of the information, I've got as much detail as I can get, and now I need to trust God. I'm sure we've all experienced moments like this, Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one who suffers from analysis paralysis. I look at all the details out there. I look, I analyze, until I'm paralyzed, I take too long to decide. That's how I usually operate. But I'm reminded that following Jesus requires us to step out in faith. It requires us to trust in him. And this is something that I believe we all have been doing, especially over the last two years. Especially over the last two years of uncertainty. Especially over the last two years of change. These last two years where where we had to navigate through an unpredictable future. And now, coming out of the pandemic into a new world, not just a world that's sort of moved on from the pandemic, but a world that is facing some very significant challenges. A world that is polarized ever the more. A world where churches continue to struggle to figure out what our place is. A world where, where we feel that our influence has waned a world where we feel that the church isn't a place, a place that we, want, that we once remember it to be. And in this new world, we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, that we're built on a foundation, and that foundation begins with Christ. Christ is the perfect cornerstone and is true. Now, when I say true, he's true both in the sense that he shows us how to live our life. He reconciles reconciles us to God and to one another, but he also was perfect. But he's also true as a cornerstone in the sense that when you build a structure, it's perfect. A cornerstone that is true helps you build a building that is true. A perfect cornerstone will set the course for the rest of the structure. 
Paul reminds us that from this cornerstone, God lays a foundation, a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, I want to remind you that the church was still young enough at this point that the apostles and prophets weren't some distant ancestors that, that were people that no one knew, they just heard about, but they were still so new. The Ephesians, the, the church in Ephesus was still so new that the apostles and the prophets were people who were just probably one or two degrees of separation. There was an organic connection. And to be honest, we're not too far off. Perhaps about 100 people connect us back to Jesus. So if you think back to the person who led you to Jesus and the person who led them to Jesus, there's a, probably a chain of about 100 people that connects us back, back to Jesus. But we are also connected to them through the teachings, the teachings of the apostles, which you find in the Bible, that we so love. Because it helps us understand the love that God has for us through Jesus. Now, both here at First Present at Trinity, we are liturgical churches, and we use the liturgy to center us. We take communion weekly, not because of rote tradition, but because our habits shape who we are. Our habits shape how we live. Church needs to be a regular part of our lives and not a special occasion. We worship on Sunday, gather together at a place where we start our week out centered together, centered on Christ. And it's important for us to do so. It's important for us to do so because as we go through this week, we will undeniably be challenged. We undeniably will be tempted to put our trust in something other than Christ to put our trust in our own righteousness, to put our trust in the ways that we are obedient to the law, to put our trust in accomplishments instead of putting our trust in Christ. And so we gather together. We use the liturgy to be focused, to be centered, and to build habits in Christ. Thirdly, we are built, being built together into a temple, a dwelling place by God. The reformer John Calvin reminds us, as he writes about this passage, individual believers are at other times called temples of the Holy Spirit. But here, all are said to constitute one temple. In both cases, the metaphor is just and appropriate. When God dwells in each of us, it is his will that we should embrace all in holy unity and that thus he should form one temple out of many. Each person, when viewed separately, is a temple, but when joined to others, becomes a stone of a temple. And this view is given for the sake of recommending the unity of the church. Now, I don't know about you, but being this American 
individualistic type of person, whenever I think about being the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think of my relationship with God. I think of how God dwells within me and this vertical relationship. And it's so easy for me to forget this horizontal relationship that I have with each and every one of you, that I have with you, my sisters and my brothers, that I have and that God has through us, with us, that God is building a temple for himself. You're a part of it. I'm a part of it. We are all part of this beautiful temple that God is assembling around this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. So we are the household of God with Christ as a cornerstone, being built up into a temple, a dwelling place for God. This is what Ephesians 2, 19-22 reminds us. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this truth? First, I'd like to suggest that God has brought us together. And as God has brought us together, we need to support one another. One of the places that I spend too much time on when I'm not busy doing the things of life is on a website called Reddit. And on one of the Reddit forums there, this user, uh, his name is Median Nerd, he said, I think it's interesting how Christianity started out as a, sect, as a set of religious beliefs intimately connected to a particular way of life. Today, our culture has completely separated the two. Secularists promote the Christian ethic divorced from the religious beliefs from which the ethic derives. The church promotes the religious beliefs and doesn't put much effort into the ethic. He continues, we need to tie them back together. One of his most positive experiences in the church was a group of guys who occasionally discussed theology, but constantly discussed their lives, their struggles, and their efforts to be better men. Another, as I was reading here, someone commented, Mark Sayers, this theologian down in, Atl in Australia, he says that modernity is an attempt to have the kingdom of God without the king. Evangelicalism is an attempt to have the king without the kingdom. And we are in a place where we need each other. We need each other to remind us of the king, to remind us of the kingdom. And I think that's why you are here today. I think many of us are tired of being a part of a church that was too consumeristic. But we were also probably a little tired of a church that is too focused on knowledge. I think we all want to be a part of a different church. That's scary. We've been disappointed. We've been let down. But something keeps us coming back. Something keeps us coming back to church. Something keeps us coming back to Jesus. I think something in us also knows that we all need community. As I think about this church that we are all striving to build, I'm humbled and I realize that I can't build it by myself. 
I'm reminded that this merge that we're proposing doesn't prevent the end of the the inevitable runway. It extends it, but that's not why we're doing this. We're doing it because we believe it will make us a healthier church. We believe that we are stronger together. We believe that it will be something that makes us more healthy, a church that is more reliant on Jesus, a church that we're more reliant on each other, a church where we're not just spectators, but owners. A church that goes beyond the consumeristic, individualistic tendencies of our world. A church that strives to live out of genuine love and transparency. And for us to be successful, we need to take risks. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be available. We need to support one another. And when I say one another, I mean also the sisters and brothers at Trinity Church. We all need each other. And that's scary. At least I think it is. My second point, my challenge is that God has given us a mission and we need to join it. What will be the mission of this new church? How will we live it out? Now, I don't know what that will look like exactly, but I do know that the foundation of the two churches will shape this new church. As we look forward to this new church, we're looking to assemble a leadership team. One, and so we're having training sessions. And that training and those training sessions, while it's there to help see if God is calling people into being on a leadership team, the more important thing is that God is calling us to more intentional discipleship. I wonder, are you satisfied with your discipleship? I'm not. I'm not satisfied with my discipleship. And I know that I can't do it on my own. I know that for me to be discipled properly in Christ, I need you. I need you to pour truth into my life. I need you to be vulnerable to me and I need to be vulnerable to you. I need you to point me to Jesus and remind me of his goodness. I need you to help me when I'm not walking as close to him as I can. I need you and your love. And that brings me to my third and final point. God has made us into a household, which is more than a family. Let's get to know each other. One of the books that's impacted my life perhaps the most over the course of the last year um, is this book called The Life We're Looking For, written by Christian author Andy Crouch. He writes, one way to understand what we are most missing and what we can and should rebuild, and when he's talking about rebuilding, he's talking after this pandemic, is to ask, What kind of place do we require to thrive as persons? Because that's the question that we want answered, right? We want to thrive as people. We want to thrive as a community. 
Krauss continues, we need a place where we can exercise our fundamental capacities, a place where we can channel our emotions and longings, be known in our unique depth of self, contribute to understanding and interpreting the world, and apply our body strength and agility to worthwhile work in all three planes of physical reality. We need a place where we can invest ourselves deeply in others, come to care about their flourishing, and give ourselves away in mutual service and sacrifice in ways that secure our own identities instead of erasing them. The name for this kind of place is the household. Now, it might seem that the more appropriate word for such a community would be family. At Trinity, we have these boards hanging on the wall that say friends and family. And on the other side, it says, you belong here. And these were originally made to kind of be silly and to take selfies with. And we kind of leave them hanging in the back because we want Trinity to be, to be a place where people can come together as friends and family as places where people realize they belong here. But more than family, and Crouch writes, while they are frequently intertwined, the household is fundamental for personhood in a way that family actually is not. Households extend beyond family. A household would include those not directly related to the paterfamilias by blood or marriage, but connected to him by various kinds of dependence. This quality of households, the way they extend beyond family formed by birth or marriage, is especially important because it means that unlike family, households are a place where every person can find a home. This is the one thing that we need more than any other, a community of recognition. While we must always insist that every human being is a person, whether or not they are seen or treated as one by others, we also know that no human being can flourish as a person unless they are seen and treated as one. And for that, the household is the first and best place. We need a place that we can't hide. We need a place where we cannot get lost. So much of the tragedy of the modern world comes down to this. Most of us do not have such a place. Many of us have friends, but friendships that are not bound together by household life tend to remain thin and fragile in our mobile world. Many of us have families, but family is fragile too. And its most crucial stage, the raising of children from infancy to young adulthood is temporary by design. If you're looking for a single proximate cause of the loneliness that is epidemic in our world, it is the dearth of households. There are all kinds of ways of palliatives that can dull the pain of our householdless world, but nothing can truly erase the fact that most of us live long stretches of our lives without the community of recognition we most need. And I think that that's a painful truth that we've all experienced, right? We've all longed for this community, a community that knows us, a community that loves us despite our brokenness, a community that is there for us, even when perhaps our families aren't even there for us. 
a community, that somehow, some way, when we read scripture, it seems as if it is possible. But a community that seems so fleeting in this world. A community that we long for, but a community that seems so unattainable. It's this kind of community, this kind of church, that I've seen and heard and tasted here at First Pres, that I've tasted at Trinity as well. And as Chris and I, as the elders of both churches, as the transition team has been thinking and processing and talking about these things, I realize that if there is any sort of secret sauce that makes these churches special, that makes these churches unique and powerful communities of Christ, it's that there is this desire to see people, this desire to make sure that people aren't lost, this desire to see that people are missed when they're not around. About a week ago, a little over a week ago, last Saturday, I was in Fresno at our, our classes meeting. Classes is like Presbytery before us uh, Continental Reform folk. And in our classes meeting, I was sharing about the state of Trinity. And I was saying and sharing with them all these exciting changes that are going on, all of these possibilities about this merger with you all. And I told them that this is super exciting, but it's also super scary. It's super exciting because we see taste and we see glimpses of the way that God is at work. But it's also super scary because we have to trust that God will show up. That as he's shown up in the past, that somehow he will continue to show up in the future. And that somehow our faith is not blind. That our faith is one where we've seen and tasted. And so, friends, sisters, brothers, as we continue to move forward, my prayer and my desire, and my, my challenge to you all is let's get to know one another deeper. Let's get to know more one another in more meaningful ways. I think one of the big challenges that we've had is that we haven't had as much time as we wish we've had to get to know each other. We've had chances through joint worship services, through certain events, but we've had less of an opportunity to bread, break bread with one another, to see each other outside of a Sunday context, to see each other outside of a worship context. And right now we're working to have people gather together during the month of April around tables to share each other's stories, to hear each other's, to share and hear each other's stories, to pray for one another, and to dream, to dream what might God be knitting together? 
What might God be creating as, as we believe he gathers these two churches to continue to build up his temple, a temple with Christ, the rejected cornerstone at its corner, a temple which dwells, which is for God, a temple, a church, not for ourselves, but for his glory and his glory alone. I'm going to give you a moment to reflect on these things and then close this section in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to knit your people into one household. We are grateful that you remind us in Revelation that all peoples, nations, tongues, and tribes will gather together before the Lamb to worship you as one household. We are grateful for all the ways that you have allowed us to go beyond all the normal sort of ways that separate us and make us into a new household. We are grateful for for that you sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sin, to show us how to live, to show us how to love one another, and to show us how to love you. God, I pray that we would never grow weary of trusting in you, that we will continue to believe in miracles happening, that we will continue to believe that you show up and that you would also use us to be the answers of others' prayers. Help us to love one another well. Help us to love our neighbors well. Help us to love and glorify you well. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.